Welcome to Episode 8 of Real Time, a podcast for realtors brought to you by CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association. And we're all about ideas surrounding Canadian real estate and topics that impact you as a realtor and really all of us. There's some great family advice here today, too. I'm your host, Erin Davis, and we're sitting down today with Kelly Keene, best-selling author, 10 books, personal finance educator, guest from CTV's Marilyn Dennis Show, BNN, and on FP Canada, to name a few platforms where she shares her wisdom. And she's an advisor who confesses to having a buy bias, which is definitely good news for you. Here we go. Oh, Kelly, what a pleasure it is to have you with us here today as we uh, make our way through a year that has been so full of surprises. So what's the first thing I'm going to ask you to do? Make a prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Something nobody wanted to do as this year has gone on. But geez, I mean, if we start with some context, in 2016, about two-thirds of Canadian families owned their own homes, and that was up from 60% in 1999. So... Do you expect these numbers to continue to increase or to decrease? What do you foresee for the future, if anybody could dare have any predictions this year? Erin, it's so great to be with you. And that is the burning question, isn't it? What is going to happen with housing? Now, I'm not an economist, so I'm just making some very humble guesstimates here. It's, it's so tough because, uh, you know, this isn't just a recession or, um, you know, a typical crisis like we went through with the financial crisis. This is so different. And I, you know, we're all done with the unprecedented term that, that we hear every single day, every single hour, but it really is. And, you know, when we were listening to all the news reports in, in March and April, there was all these forecasts for housing to drop, uh, different economists talking about, uh, you know, different percentages, but it was in the low double digits and we've seen anything but. So, um, you know, we've seen July housing sales soar, uh, Toronto, um, you know, housing soar. What is going to happen in the next quarter? What is going to happen next year is anyone's guess. I mean, some of the big question marks are, you know, once the government assistance um, dries up, mm-hmm. when will it dry up? It keeps getting extended, so right. we don't know. But when that does dry up, how will Canadians handle their housing payments? Will they? Will we see delinquencies rise and people actually having to sell their house? I mean, with borders still shut, we're not seeing the immigration that's needed for increased sales. But I don't know. It's... Um, you know, it's certainly going to be the thing to watch. Um, and then also with the other question mark of how many renters actually want to become homeowners. And a new survey revealed that 14% say that because of COVID, they want to purchase a home in the next year. That's double the 7% reported last year. So a lot of unknowns and uh, we'll all be watching very closely. Kelly, with the August numbers, just out of the GTA, for example, the only segment that wasn't on fire, so to speak, was in condos. Now, do you think that what you just spoke to, and that is the 14% of renters who say, yeah, it's time to stop renting, I want to start buying, do you think that that could be the catalyst in the condo market, that that might be the next big thing? It could be. I mean, and and that could go both ways, Aaron, right? Is a lot of homeowners, a lot of people wanting to ensure that they have the safety of having a home. I mean, I hear from so many young folks that now this was Mm pre-COVID that were being ousted from, you know, they would sign a six-month lease. 
Then their property was wanting to be converted to an Airbnb. They were kicked out. And then they kept facing increased uh, rent every time they moved and, of course, all the expenses with it. Now, some of the other younger folks that I'm, I'm, I'm talking to and just those in condos, period, in Toronto are, you know, now during COVID have been isolated in this small, you know, box in the sky. Mm -hmm. Their offices are closed. They don't have that yard to get out there. They're, they have elevators that they're navigating you know, being in the same small space with other humans and they're considering moving out of town or getting a home that's, that's, you know, out of the GTA, which they never would have had that conversation pre-COVID. So certainly I think almost all of us are re-examining our housing issues and what makes sense moving forward, probably in a way that we never have Ever before. Yeah, you're so right. Sarah Richardson told us in our most recent podcast that our homes have had to multitask as everything our gym, our restaurant, our office, of course, our asylum, our classroom for so many. Mm. And we're all kind of re examining our living space. Now, you are, I would say, an expert in this. Kelly Keene has written the best selling book. Talk money to me and save well, spend some and feel good about your money, Simon and Schuster. So you must have a lot of millennials asking you the question, is real estate still a wise financial investment as it was for their parents and their grandparents? Mm-hmm. And, and that is such a question on so many people's minds. So let's unpack that a little bit, especially when we use the word investment, because an investment is something that you are purchasing with the hope that it's going to appreciate that you are going to liquidate for your retirement. And I know it sounds a little pedantic that I would kind of go into that because um, an asset is something very different. An asset is something that you hope will appreciate. So um, Aaron, it's a very important question. So let's unpack it this way. If you are looking at real estate as your primary residence, and then let's unpack it as an investment. It's something that you're looking at, um, you know, something to appreciate as opposed to going into the stock market or ETFs or something like that. So let's first look at, at it as your principal residence. Um, you know, there's so many benefits to home ownership that uh, I think a lot of millennials just kind of just said, hey, I'm never going to be able to afford it. It's too expensive. It's not for me. And now we're saying, whoa, if this is perhaps the new trend, the work at home trend, and even when things get back to normal, a lot of companies are saying they're not going to require their employees to be in full time in the office. It might just be two days a week. Now that's a whole different conversation of, you know, is it a good idea? Let's just strip the investment question off because you need somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can get in and it's a reasonable, um, you know, parallel to what your rent would be, it's forced savings. Now the theory, my friend Rob Carrick at the Globe and Mail, he has often presented the case that renting is can actually be better than buying. And I get where he's coming from. I do have a buy bias. I do, I've always been interested in real estate. Um, if it appreciates, that's great. But even if it just stays at status quo and you, you're, you know, cause if you sell, you still have to buy at the higher price mm -hmm. and theoretically you're going to retire in a home. So I think if you strip away the investment side of it, real estate can really make sense 
if you look at all those pros and cons. Now, if we're talking investment-wise, I think you have to do a lot more research. You need to do your due diligence because now you've got leverage that isn't your principal residence. That means that you're borrowing money for an investment. Are you able to be a property manager? Are you able to be a landlord? Now, if we're even just talking about a cottage, you know, you want to crunch the numbers, make sure that you're using it enough, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then again, if I can just, just quickly go back to the principal residence, um, if and when you do sell, if let's say then you decide to, I don't know, go into a retirement community or, or rent or something of that sort, it is tax-free, uh, you know, of what your increase was. So I think there are a lot of compelling cases for home ownership, regardless of COVID, but I certainly think that COVID is going to, uh, the pendulum is going to swing for a lot of people to figure out how can they get in the market, even if it still is expensive for a lot of young folks. Back with financial expert Kelly Keene in just a second, and the best advice she's got for newbies just entering the market as a buyer. This is so worth sharing with prospective buyers, so please do. Oh, and we mentioned Sarah Richardson there in our chat, and if you missed podcast episode 7 with the HGTV design goddess, it's easy to find, and I promise you'll be glad you did. Just make sure you've subscribed to our real-time podcast series. Don't miss an episode. Click to subscribe. Okay, back to author, speaker, and our real-time guest, Kelly Keene. And guess what? She's got her own amazing website, kellykeen.com. That's Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Keen, K-E-E-H-N.com. And she's the author of 10 books. But she's just found one of our favorite apps, plus more great tips. Let's talk about the people who are deciding to come out of self-isolation and dip their toes into purchasing then. Kelly, what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting to look at maybe stepping on that first rung of the property ladder? How do they do so responsibly? And that's such an important question, Erin, because a lot of people feel that, first of all, if they're renting, I just hear these myths, you know, it's just so expensive. Uh, millennials can't get into a home. And those things are not necessarily true. Maybe you have to tweak where your ideal home is. Maybe it's uh, getting a roommate to get started with. You know, maybe it's a, a, you need an income suite to help get approved. But the most important thing is to get started. If you really do have this inkling and this goal of home ownership, unpack it. Start to do the simplest thing. Go to the neighborhood that you would love. Uh, reach out to a realtor to help you narrow down to say, okay, this is like my ideal. What is it going to cost? I can't tell you how many people are like, they've already dismissed the idea of home ownership. They don't even know really how much it costs. They haven't really looked at their budget. So figure out where you want to be. What are your non-negotiables for a home? Great starting point. Then what you want to do is you want to do some financial legwork. And I got to tell you, I, I flipped over on the Korea site, korea.ca, realtor.ca, and I can't believe that I haven't seen these resources before. They're incredible. They have some, like, seriously, I was playing around and their, their calculators are so intuitive and they really answer the questions that a lot of people wouldn't even think to ask. So, for example, you know, there's some great decent pre-approval calculators on a lot of websites. And, and another um, resource I really like is the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. I know that's a mouthful, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. If you just Google them and then add the word calculator, 
They have a lot of great calculators like how to pay down your credit card debt, all that type of stuff that you may need to do before you're even thinking about buying a home. But let's say you're close, you, you know, you're close to getting a home. These calculators were so fantastic. So you can figure out exactly what you need for a down payment. You punch in your income, you punch in what you think, you know, your property taxes are going to be, some of those details. It spits out what you can afford. And Aaron, what I love the most is it also shows you, um, you know, the impact of your down payment. So if you're coming in with less than 20%, it's going to show you approximately how much those insurance fees are going to be if it's CMHC or it's other, you know, um, insurers like Genworth that you're going to have to pay. And you can be like, wow, maybe I need to wait a few more years, maybe need to save up a little bit more, or you might say, no, it's worth it to get right in. But that definitely is your best first step. So I'd say, find out where you want to live, reach out to a realtor to get some help, get online, get your calculator, maybe sit down with someone like a certified financial planner or a nonprofit credit counselor to help you get out of any high interest rate debt. And then very lastly is working with your, your banker or your mortgage broker once you're ready to actually um, you know, give you a rate guarantee. You don't want to like miss out on that in case interest rates go up. Mm. So definitely, I know there's a lot of steps there uh, to unpack, but if you just start with the first one or two, um, it's real easy to, to get that momentum going. How important is credit score in Canada? I know when you're online, the credit score app comes up and check your credit score, check your credit score. That's a U.S. thing. Where does credit score come in when you're looking at figuring out, okay, I want to make the biggest down payment that I can, mm -hmm. uh, looking at those interest rates? How big is that in terms of a Canadian who is planning to make a big purchase? Is that something that uh, our bank or lender would be looking at pretty closely before they put a stamp on our uh, our mortgage application? Yes, Erin, and I'm so happy you brought that up because that is also something you really want to be on top of well in advance of your home buying goal setting. And, and if you have a spouse, uh, and this may be tough, Erin, a lot of people have not revealed their credit scores to, to each other. I don't have a Canadian stat, but just um, anecdotally, 43% of Americans don't even know what their spouse earns. Like what? they don't even know exactly what they're, I know, I'm hoping uh, that is not the same in Canada. But when you hear a number like that, it wouldn't be uncommon that a couple could be together for years or decades and they've never checked their credit score together or shared that. So you definitely want to look at this way well in advance. Now, it is obviously not the only criteria, but it's a big component to the lending process. So your credit report, you can get for free right now during COVID as often as you want. Um, online, because of course, none of the, the, the Equifax and TransUnion, they don't have their doors open. Um, you can get it online, but it doesn't tell you your magic score. Your score should be the same with TransUnion and Equifax. Those are the two Canadian reporting agencies. Mm -hmm. um, you unfortunately have to pay for your score if you want it from them, but you're, you're right, Erin, you can get it for free if you, um, your bank often will have that option for you to check your score, maybe your credit card company. There's some third-party companies out there that will give you your score for free. Just make sure you read the terms and conditions because maybe you're giving away some privacy to get it for free. But anyhow, uh, your score is anywhere from 300 to 900. 720 is probably a decent score for lending. It can be as low as 680 to get approved for a mortgage. 
but that's just one criteria. That's just a, a little snapshot saying, how have you managed paying your debt? Now, your credit could really be hurt because of COVID. Maybe you, you missed a few payments, things of that sort, and you're going to need six months to 12 months to get that back up. But I have to tell you that when I was in the financial industry, I dealt with a lot of high net worth clients and you know, especially maybe one spouse when their partner passed away and they had no income, they could have had a high net worth, but they had no credit. Mm. And the bank was not very willing to lend to them because they had no credit history. So you can be in this situation. I've actually talked to young folks that they thought they were doing everything right, paying their, their cars for cash, never using a credit card, not going into any student loan debt. And then came time to get, you know, approved. They've got a down payment. All of this, they've got great income, they have no credit score, or they don't have a good one because they weren't building credit. So it's a great opportunity for realtors to, to talk with, you know, prospective buyers or younger, you know, maybe buyers like uh, parents that, that their children want to get in, their adult children want to get into the market to be like, hey, maybe one of your first steps is checking that credit score, making sure it's accurate, making sure something isn't on there that's pulling your score down that shouldn't be. And, and making sure that you've got the time to repair it because it doesn't get repaired overnight, that's for sure. Yeah, once you found that house of your dreams and then you find out that your spouse has student loans or mm. anything that went sideways that they either forgot about or just chose to put aside, that's not the time to have the fight in the driveway. 100%. Speaking of 100% and giving credit where credit is due, Here's to you if you're an inspiration to others. Why not share the good news? All you do is go to realtorscare.ca. Realtors Care is the national brand that celebrates great charitable work by the realtor community in Canada. Help raise awareness for the charities and causes closest to you by sharing your story at realtorscare.ca. Back to Kelly Keene on Real Time with more advice for first-time buyers. It never hurts to get into a potential client head just a little more, so let's do that. Plus, Kelly's anti-budget idea for all of us. Is there a time, Kelly, that's too early to talk to a realtor about your hopes and dreams? I mean, we've been discussing the nuts and bolts of financial institutions and online roadmaps. What about just sitting down over a coffee or Zoom, I guess, today hmm. to talk with a realtor about where it is you want to go? Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. If you don't touch the dream, Aaron, it's not going to happen. If you never go to the neighborhood, if you never call up, you know, a realtor to, to understand, um, you know, maybe some blind spots about home buying, uh, neighborhoods that are up and coming. Um, you know, I'm, I'm back, I'm usually in Toronto, but I'm back home in Edmonton and uh, there's a major LRT being built like four blocks away. So like, what does that mean? Does that mean that that will increase my property value, decrease it? If I would have known this a number of years ago, and I, I probably did, I should have picked up the phone to a realtor and said, hey, should I stay? Should I sell? What does this mean? I have no idea. You know, these are professionals that have a pulse of what neighborhoods are up and coming, which ones maybe you can get a really great deal in. And in 10 years, you can actually see that appreciation. Maybe some that are kind of overvalued. Um, like they, they definitely have that inside information that, that it would be pretty difficult to find on your own. And 
they're going to offer that for you for free, right? Why not take them up on it? Sure. And it may not be an investment that pays off for the realtor at that moment, but down the road, you remember who helped you. And hopefully you're able to get in touch and say, hey, I'm back and I'm ready. And here we go. Do you know what, Erin? Every time and I've been in my house, this one house that I've had, I've had it for like 25 years and I've called realtors a couple of times to be like, should I renovate? Should I sell? What should I do? And I was a terrible client. I didn't buy once, but you know what I did every single time? I was like, oh, you know what? I bet like my, you know, my neighbor over there, they're thinking about selling. And every time the realtor came and invested time with me, even though they didn't make any money with me and they didn't get the sale, they got a sale from someone that I referred them to because it was top of mind. And it's just that, like you said, it's that human element. It's that reciprocity. You did something for me. I can't pay you. I'm not going to be a client, but I'm going to work my best to help find someone because you provided me such incredible value that was worth a lot. Yeah. And it's like when we were talking with the folks who founded Rank My Agent, there's nothing more powerful than word of mouth and someone you trust endorsing something or someone. Absolutely. If I call you, if you're my mom, my sister, my my friend, whatever, and say like this realtor went above and beyond, like, I mean, how how easy is that? And and I think a lot of people will go above and beyond when someone really came to help solve a problem that they just couldn't figure out on their own. And Aaron, everyone, our housing needs have changed so rapidly that we're all kind of looking at our homes going, oh my goodness, uh, we've never examined them so closely and if they fit our needs. And I don't think there's ever a time that is um, you know, more ripe for opportunities than realtors to just get out there if it's a webinar, if it's um, conversations, if it's, like you said, Zoom, just like, hey, let's just have a chat about your, your home needs. Like, do you, you know, what's going on for you? Maybe you need a place with... Um, uh, a rental suite. Maybe the kids moved back home. I can't tell you how many people had their kids move back home mm-hmm. that their housing needs are, are rapidly are not working for them anymore. <laughs> University is happening for a lot of people virtually and the kids aren't leaving this fall. Yeah. Yeah. And the soundproofing is the first step and then you go from there. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, this year, 2020, we've seen, what is it, four in 10 Canadians now. 40% of us are saying the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted our financial stress levels. Half of us are losing sleep over financial worries. Do you have any tips? And I know, you know, 10 books. How many hmm. tips do you have that you could share to help us alleviate financial stress due to COVID-19, Kelly? Aaron, it's, it's so essential. So there's there's three things that I think Canadians really need to take away from that. Like there's such a cognitive load right now that's just causing so much financial friction. And when when actually it, studies have shown that when you have financial stress, your IQ is temporarily reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you can't even see that there's opportunity. So um, the most important thing is just to get real back to basics. Uh, you know, know what income you have and see if you can increase it. Know what expenses you have and see if you can cut them. And I'll get into that in a second. And then number three is building that buffer, building that emergency savings account. So that that's, that um, survey that you were quoting, that was from FP Canada. Those are the people that certify financial planners in Canada. And the Canadian Payroll Association also came out with a very interesting survey this spring right when COVID was happening and their survey revealed that 
it wasn't what you make. Even people making $150,000 a year, there's been lots of studies saying, you know, your level of happiness increases to a certain amount of income and then you're no more happy. Mm -hmm. What their survey revealed was the sleep at night factor was having that buffer, having that emergency savings account. So a lot of people didn't have it. I mean, before COVID, 50% of Canadians were $200 away from not being able to pay their bills. The reality is we went into this crisis without the buffer, but I know a lot of people are coming out of it going never again, you know, going to make sure that you've got that emergency savings no matter what. So what do you do? I mean, one of the things in my book and I talk about a lot is something I call my 30-day anti-budget. I don't like the B word. It doesn't work for me. It's kind of like the D word diet. You know, anyone can go on a diet, lose weight. It's can you stick to it? And Mm -hmm. most people can't. So the anti-budget, it's something I I do with my husband uh, every single, we do it twice a year. And all you have to do for 30 days is track your spending. And sounds super simple. Lots of apps out there. You can use your own bank app, but you need to dig in a little bit more. Like, you know, Pennies and cents make a difference when you're trying to get that buffer. So, you know, it's calling up your cell phone provider, seeing if you can get a better deal. If you've got high interest rate credit card debt, that's costing you an astronomical amount of money every month. I just looked at even just some stuff that people might be spending their money on, like weed and booze and gambling and unused uh, subscriptions. We actually spend a lot of those. And if you add that up, that actually comes for the average Canadian to over $4,800 a year. If you could just slash that in half, just in half, that could very quickly fund a decent emergency savings account. Uh, and, you know, it's not all about sacrifice. It's about choice and awareness. And maybe you can even bump it up more if, if you know, saving for that down payment is really important. If you do nothing more than just, you know, dig into your own finances, track your spending for 30 days, see where your money is going, and then see where you can trim the fat, I think it's a lot more sustainable than trying to stick to a budget. $4,800 a year. Did you hear that? Maybe one of the kids called you. Go back and listen. Wow. Coming up on Real Time, Kelly talks about forced savings and her idea for an app and warnings for us about others. Have you checked out Realtor.ca Living Room yet? Come on in. It's the source for all things home, from articles on market trends and developments in real estate to DIYs and all things design. We've got just the inspiration you need in one place on Living Room. Kelly Keene is best-selling author and personal finance educator, consumer advocate, and no wonder her latest book is called Talk Money to Me, which is exactly what we are doing here today. You talk about, you know, the extraneous expenses, the weed, the booze, the gambling, uh, the trips for fast food or coffee or whatever that just add up exponentially. Movie theater tickets, not so much these days, but, you know, the things we subscribe to and they just kind of sit there. Is there, in your experience, an app or a program besides your anti-budget idea, which sounds great, that would... Let's just use for an example the forced savings that our paychecks would give us when they took off a chunk and you never saw it, you never missed it, and then at the end you either get a pension or you get some stock in your company or whatever. Is there something, Kelly, that can offer that forced saving of money that you never saw? I wish there were. So there are some workarounds, but is there an actual app? Now, there are some fantastic apps out there. There There's some apps that will round up your spending. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can set the parameters. 
Um, but here's the fact that unfortunately right now in Canada, we do not have something called open banking or what Canada is calling consumer-driven finance. So what that means is there isn't an app or a way that you can look at all of your financial information and let's say automatically, you know, do forced savings from all your financial information or track your spending or what have you. So much so that I'm actually working on a fintech uh, solution for that right now. And here's the thing to note is because there's so many fantastic apps out there and Canadians are divulging their information, um, you need to be very careful because if you're using an, a financial app that is linking into your credit card or your um, investments or your, or your bank accounts and it's not your bank app, you actually can nullify the fraud protection that you have Ooh. when using your debit or your credit card. So you want to be super, super careful that you're very aware of that. But what can you do? If you are an employee, go to your employer. They probably have like, um, you know, a, a savings program, a pay yourself first program that you may or may not be aware of. There's probably matching programs with RSPs and, and other incentives, maybe stock purchase plans and matching plans. If you are not an employee, you're on your own, you're part of the gig economy, small business owner, you can do it yourself. I mean, you can just set up a forced savings plan that, you know, unfortunately doesn't come from your paycheck because you're paying yourself. Right. But it comes out every month like a bill. And Canadians are fantastic with paying their bills. We just aren't very good with savings. We used to be. Um, and, and, and fair enough, you know, in the 1980s, when interest rates were in the double digits, there was a lot more incentive to save than there is now. But doing it every single month, having that habit, even if you just start with 25 or 50 bucks a month and just keep increasing it, um, you know, can, like, those dollars add up super, super fast. Let's talk about parents, the buffer zone between their offspring and possible financial ruin with the uncertainty, the debt, the low interest rates, everything that we've talked about. How many parents are you finding are now sort of the bank of money and daddy, as we used to call ourselves? How much are you seeing that change now in the whole financial puzzle? There's a lot. Now, FP Canada had a survey uh, a year ago, and we followed it up a from a couple of years ago as well, and it was called Failure to Launch. And it was how, how many adult children are actually, as you said, relying on the bank of mom and dad to either help them out with schooling, with housing, with all of that type of stuff. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was a, was a large number of parents could not retire when they wanted to or pay off their own debt because they were actually helping their adult kids. Now, that survey hasn't been updated through COVID, but I dare say anecdotally from the Canadians I've been talking to throughout this crisis, so many of them are helping out their children, and, and then the sandwich generation, Aaron, maybe even helping out their parents, right. uh, you know, with, with delivery services and things of that sort, just to help them get through COVID. So they're in the sandwich generation squish. And it's really important to make sure that if you are helping your children out financially, that there's clear communication, that there's documentation. So if you're giving a child um, you know, a large amount of money for schooling, for helping with a down payment, if you're co-signing for something, please consult a professional like a lawyer or a chartered professional accountant or a certified financial planner, because there's bigger questions to be had, such as, is this a gift or is it a loan? If you have more than one child and you're only helping one child out, 
how does that affect the other children? Is that going to come off of their inheritance? Um, you know, are you going to be open about that with the family? This is where a lot of very uncomfortable things start to manifest with families. It comes out at Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving dinner and things of that sort. A lot of resentment. One child keeps getting help. And, you know, if you can't have the conversations on your own, you know, again, get that professional to help. Maybe sometimes it's like it needs to be a heavy hand. Maybe you need to send your adult child to a, a nonprofit credit counselor and get them to really look at their finances because they keep coming back to the bank of mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Again, not easy conversations, but you want to make sure you really dig into all those those details. Yeah, absolutely. Making a child feel awkward because you're getting them to sign a note that says you gave them this money is going to probably save a whole lot of heartache and not to mention the legal problems down the road. So, you know, it's a little bit of temporary pain for a whole lot of peace in the future, I would guess. Absolutely, Erin. And what if, you know, especially as we see more and more people going into the gig economy, especially younger folks opening their own little companies or being an entrepreneur, what if you give this large gift for a down payment or even help them pay the home more than a down payment or co-sign, and they now maybe marry someone that goes bankrupt. Maybe they go bankrupt because there just is, you know, that industry was lost right. because of COVID or what have you. You can see how when you have these conversations like, hey, look, adult child, it's not just about, um, you know, my belief in you. It's about what may happen to you through marriage, through um, uncertainty through lawsuits, through what have you. And, and we want to make sure that we protect this pot of money that mom and dad maybe worked decades or a half a century to earn, uh, that it's done properly. And then the other question too is how are you going to help the kids? Are you cashing in investments? When is the best time to cash those in? Are you taking a line of credit? Like what is the best way for you to fund it? You can see how it becomes complex very quickly and what seems like a very simple decision, we're going to help, you know, Johnny or Janie out, can have a lot of layers that need to be explored. Have you heard the saying, never waste a crisis? Well, you're about to when Kelly returns. Plus, what surprised her most about 2020? And here's a hint, it's about slowing it down. But before we do, here's an espresso reminder about Crea Cafe. It's created for realtors and includes insightful new content created hot and fresh weekly. Join the conversation at creacafe.ca. You might just say, thanks a latte, or not. That's okay, just check it out. I hope you're enjoying our conversation with Kelly Keene, just the latest guest in the real-time podcast series. Have you subscribed? And now, back to very special guest, Kelly Keene, on Real Time. Let's turn it back to realtors as we get set to wrap up here, Kelly, and we could talk forever. I can see why you've got 10 books, and I look forward to watching you on season 11 of The Marilyn Dennis Show on CTV as well this year. Lots more of Kelly everywhere, fortunately for us. I love your saying that you borrowed, never waste a crisis, and this applies so perfectly to realtors for 2020 and beyond. Do you want to extrapolate on that a little bit? Yes, and thank you for your kind words, Erin. I, I do appreciate it. It's so great to be with you. Yeah, I just, it's such, a, like people are suffering. They're they are at home with their, their spouse and their cats and their kids. And, and like you said, like something as simple as soundproofing, uh, maybe recommending that somebody get a, a, an interior uh, wood door um, that, you know, 
doing an in-home assessment for someone, uh, of course, with masks and social distancing and all of that sort, uh, there's so many opportunities for realtors. And I'll just give you this anecdote. I met with my social media girl. Uh, She now has a team. This was a few years ago. And I remember there was a a class of hers I couldn't attend. And I said, can I hire you individually just to walk me through how to do Instagram and and Twitter and all that type of stuff? She said, sure. And and she sat down and and went through all of this with me, Erin. It all sounded great. Six months later, I did none of it. And I came to her and said, can I please hire you? <laughs> and I've, she's been my social media team for three years now. So you might not get the sale, as we talked about earlier, right? You might not get the sale. You might put this extra effort out. You know, it, it might not seem like it was worth it. But when you position yourself as a realtor to be their real estate authority, regardless, you, you have no idea what you could spark in them next week or next month to be like, wow, you know, you came and gave us all of these ideas and we realized it's going to cost way too much and we'd rather buy a new house with you or something of that sort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on the flip side, there are a lot of people that have saved money over uh, COVID. You know, they, they maybe save childcare costs. They're not going out as much. They're not traveling. Maybe they're interested in buying a, a rental property. Maybe they're interested in a, a real estate as an investment. Um, so many conversations to be had that it's not just about that transaction. It's about that relationship. And now more than ever, people are looking at their homes with, with fresh eyes. And I just think that a realtor can provide such reassurance, help them make complex decisions. And, and as you said, uh, be part of that coveted referral process that guarantees a sale a lot lot more, I think, than, than any other form of, of marketing or effort does. Kelly, we usually wrap up the show with something fast or an open house or something, but I'm going to slow it down based on something you told me surprised you most about 2020. Want to share that with us? Love it, Aaron. Yes. So COVID, I renamed the Slovet. And, and what do I mean by that? Um, I was part of a local slow food movement decades ago where it was all about, you know, let's get back to sitting at the dining room table and, and, and farm to table and going to farmer's market, knowing about your food. And, and I've been wanting a slow money movement for a long time. And I think that COVID, uh, if, you know, if we look at it as the slow vid, we've been forced to slow down and it's been awful, awful for so many people. Absolutely. But I think the silver lining is in that slowness, we've been able to hopefully appreciate what money doesn't buy. That, you know, if you go to the store and there's toilet paper and food on the shelf, that that is a very exciting thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a hug from your parent, uh, you know, just being able to have a coffee out in public with someone, even if you have to wear a mask, things that as a 45-year-old, my mom told me about the depression I didn't get. Um, you know, but just that real appreciation of what's important today. And as I sit in my home talking to you, my home has never been more appreciated than ever before. And uh, I just think that, um, you know, it's been such an honor to be on this podcast with you. And and I have great admiration for Korea and what realtors do to provide, you know, this literal and metaphorical roof over your head is a, uh, I think, a very noble profession and industry. 
I couldn't end it any better than that. And so we'll wrap it up for this time. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. And we'll look forward, as I say, to seeing you on Season 11 with Marilyn Dennis. And, uh, okay, 10 books. Is there an 11 coming for you, or are you just kicking back with all this going on? <laughs> there's actually 11. There's 11 and 12. And by the <sighs> way, Erin, it's such a pleasure to be with you. You are such an inspiration. <laughs> I hope everyone listening Googles you and, and gets your book, which I will be doing the second I get off of this conversation with you. But yes, Talk Money to Me is actually being updated and re-released with the COVID edition in January, which I'm really excited about. We're rushing that book as quickly as possible because Canadians really need help with their deferrals and everything else. And yes, and stay tuned. In 2021, there's another one coming as well with Simon & Schuster. Great. Well, can I suggest a re-up for your title, Talk Money to Me, but do it from over there. Love it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so brilliant. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Erin. Thanks to Kelly Keene for her time and her insight and for sharing both with us here today. Don't forget, you can learn so much more about her books, upcoming appearances, and more at kellykeen.com. Before we wrap up, I've got a question for you. What is the best piece of real estate advice you've received during your career? Has someone shared bulletproof marketing insights or profound thoughts on managing client relationships? We want to hear about advice you've received that had a positive impact on your career. Just call 1-888-768-6793. That's 1-888-768-6793 and leave us a message and hopefully it'll be shared in our next episode. Maybe like this call. Hi, Erin. My name is Tony Singh. I'm a realtor at Bel Air Realty Group in Vancouver. And I just finished listening to your last podcast. It was very, very informative. And I wanted to call in. So to be honest, the best piece of advice that I found has worked for me is listen to your client. And the reason why it's been such amazing advice is because it relates directly to knowing your client, knowing what's important to them, and client care. And these are all essential in finding them either the right property and screening out the ones that would not be a fit based on what the client said and if you listen to the client, and also really making their dream or plan happen and coming up with the proper way to support them. I look forward to your next episode, and thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Thank you for that call. We love to hear from you. And if you have some advice you want to share with everybody, don't be shy. Just call this number and leave a message. 1-888-768-6793. Again, 1-888-768-6793. And thanks. And just before we go, here's another reason you're going to want to subscribe to this podcast. Up next time, an in-depth discussion about the importance of home with award-winning Canadian author of From the Ashes, Jesse Thistle. You won't want to miss it. Real Time is produced by Real Family Productions and Alphabet Creative. I'm Erin Davis. Talk to you again soon, and don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>